how you doing? How are, how are you feeling about just life in general before we dig into the nitty gritty? Spoiler alert! Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. It's it's been like a weird couple days. I think it's because the weather has been like like cold. Like we had like a little taste of summer. Yeah. And that and now we're having like 13, 10 degree days. Yep. And it's just cloudy and so I'm like waking up and like putting a sweater on and it just feels like I'm back like two months. So that's been a little rough. And also, um, my friend Brent has, uh, he's taken on clearing up his Facebook a little bit. Mm. And, and by that, I mean like old posts, Okay. like just going through posts just to see like what, and I didn't realize that you can look through your posts by year. Oh yeah. They make it easy. So I, I was like going back like 2006, 2007 and just like really kind of reflecting a little bit. I'm up to 2010. Okay. And just like getting rid of posts that I'm like, oh my God, that was dumb. Like how thirsty of a young man was I that I'm just like oh my stoked God. for this party tonight. My <laughs> Facebook statuses are so thirsty. Do you not check your on this day notification every day? I usually do, but for the most part, it's like um, something from within the last five years that I'm not as ashamed about. Oh, for some reason, mine seems to be set to show me everything between now and 2007. And almost every day I wake up with some form of cringe and I don't seem to learn not to check it or to delete them as I go. Because right. same deal, just these like really like thirsty, attention grabby, think I'm funnies. And they, yeah. they make me hate myself. Certainly yeah. an older version of myself. Right. And yeah, so it's it's been kind of like reflecting on that. And then I had a message from a friend in like junior high the other day. And he he had moved away in junior high. And it was like such a nice message. Oh, wow. And it was essentially just saying like, hey, man, like I was having like a friendship issue here. And uh, I remembered like in grade eight, you you asked my opinion on something and I like really like stuttered on it and you said don't tell me like what you think I want to hear tell me what you actually feel oh, <laughs> and I was like I said that. that's so wise and like beautiful a, a 14 year old <laughs> <laughs> I don't know like how serious I was about it but I, I'm like so I was so taken aback that he remembered that and felt it was so important so that like that combined with my like old Facebook statuses, I'm like, am I getting dumber as I get older? No, I think that just the fact that you would ask yourself that question is a sign of emotional maturity. Although certainly sometimes like our older selves can can surprise ourselves in spite of everything I've written on Facebook um, in my adolescence and my later than adolescence. I did not so long ago like come across like an old journal that I like wrote poems in in high school. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, oh, do I dare? Because yeah. I, I will ruin my week if I look at this. And I did dare, and they were not that bad. It was like, oh, like, oh, oh, that's cool, actually kind of good. Like, I'm kind of proud of that. I wouldn't put it out, but like, yeah. it's, we we have always had depth, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. And I don't know whether I'm like happy about that or like kind of, was a part of you kind of hoping that the poems would be worse to um, say that you've grown personally? I would have to have some kind of anecdotal evidence that I am better now, which I don't. <laughs> gotcha. So, uh, no, I guess I was just kind of looking at it like, well, this is a different person who wrote this. 
And so right. I'll either think it's good or I won't. And I did think it was good. And that was just kind of pleasing. Yeah. That's awesome. That's interesting. I Like, I also had a friend, like, even before grade eight, I had a best friend in grade four named Brendan. And he and I were, like, thick as thieves, but only for a year, maybe a year and a half. And then he moved away. His, like, his dad got a job in Moncton or something. And I saw him, like, one more time. So it's it's interesting that when you're that young, you're, like, 10 years old, you have a friend who, like, means the world to you. And then that just ends and you just move on. Like you're you're so recyclable with your life cycle at this right. young age. Um, and then I saw him when I was like 18, I just like ran into him and it was so incredibly awkward. But also being 18 and running into anybody is incredibly awkward. Right. And so I, he is somebody I think about a lot for whatever reason, I don't know him at all. Um, but I, I wonder if like, if I were to say like, hey, remember that time we like stayed up all night and played Goldeneye? Would that be the weirdest fucking thing ever for him to read? Or would, would he be like, I can't believe this. This made my day. Yeah. I, yeah. I think at that point you're, you got to just like tell stories. And like, if he said some crazy story about you that you didn't remember, you would still appreciate it. You wouldn't be like, uh, I don't know what you're <laughs> talking about, man. You'd be like, oh my God, no, I <laughs> I don't remember that, but like that's hilarious. I wish I did. Dude, that never happened. Take it back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, wait a second. I only play as odd job, so it wasn't me. <laughs> well, that's nice. I'm glad that you're having this. Uh, although it doesn't sound like it's um, it's totally gratifying. It sounds like it's yeah, bringing it's not, you some it's, baggage. It's not entirely pleasant. It's it's kind of like a, a weird passage of time thing too, where I'm like, oh my god, like like something I wrote from like 2010 feels like I could have written it like yesterday. So as, as much as like the tw 2007 stuff was super rough, some of the 2010 stuff, I'm like, have I changed at all? Or am I just the same person? Well, what are you leaning towards? Do you want to I have changed? I, I, oh, I, of course I would want, I like from before I started working as a part-time street teamer to now. Right. Yeah. I would like to, I, I would like to have grown. But I'm not talking about your job. Like I'm talking about your fundamentals as a human. We're talking about like that's, our, our inner that, depth. That's here. what I mean. I'm using that as like an arbitrary timeline, but but just think like bef since before I knew you to now, would I like to be a deeper person? Yeah. yeah. But I think you are. I don't I don't think you had this conversation with with anybody back then. Like do you find that you're having you know that moment you have a lot um, in your like mid twenties where you're like, wow, we're so old. Can you believe we're talking about mortgages? Like, do you find you're having that conversation less? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I mean, like, yeah, I'm definitely having that conversation. Less. It's like way less novel to me that I'm an adult now, which means right. I am one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think we're on the same page there. Like, like my, my friends are having kids and I'm still like, grappling with what it means to like like you know i think i might have had this conversation on the podcast before like all of the motivations around having a kid and like okay why would i be doing this would i be doing this because i like would i be trying to do this for me or would i be doing it because i genuinely want and me and colin have been having this discussion a lot too because he's he just had a kid and they're talking about you know second kids and jesus they just had a kid no, no, I know. Actually, like, if I'm, I don't, don't want to like put this out 
they're talking about like just having one kid. Yeah. Like, which is a private thing. So it I is. don't know if anyways, but anyways, they were discussing the merits of just having one kid. And when we were running, I was kind of like, yeah, some people have two kids because they're like, Oh, I want to have like a friend for the first kid. And I'm like, you had a, you're bringing a life <laughs> because you wanted to be a friend for the first life. I think about it's that a lot. A weird motivator. I think about that a lot. Like I, I wouldn't trade having been a sibling for anything. My brother is my best friend, but I also have always had friends. Like I've always had like, like secondary brothers. And so like, I don't, right. I, I guess there probably is like a loneliness to, to single childhood that I could never understand, but also I get its value. I think so too. You know, just as you were saying that, I thought to myself, like maybe having a sibling provides a healthier ecosystem for, so it's like, it's not necessarily a motivator just for, it's like, we just want the ecosystem to be better. Well, there are very few, uh, only children in our generation. Do you find that? Like you didn't grow up, like if you were an only child, that was pretty unusual. And was there anything yeah. characteristically of note of those people? Because the stereotype is that they're more, uh, selfish people that the, they need to be the center of attention. They like the world to revolve, revolve around them. I don't know if that's fair, but mm -hmm. there, there would be, there would be reason to believe that like if that was factually the case it would be pretty basic to understand totally yeah but i like also a part of me if i had an only child would be like i'm okay with you you know <laughs> wanting the world to revolve around you like yes like it just gives you more of a sense of i i don't know i guess it's kind of a weird motivator but like like i want you to think you're special <laughs> That's that's beautiful. That's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so when you think about um, as an adult and not as uh, a near adult pretending to be an adult or whatever we are when we're in our early to mid-20s, um, mm -hmm. and maybe the fact that I would say that at all, like, oh, I'm an adult, maybe that makes me sound unadult. But um, as you are what you are and you think about this next phase and your friends around you are in that next phase... Um, it, what does that have to do with what inspires that because i know that you have we have talked about this before although not on uh the podcast the idea of um creating a life because of your own impermanence oh yeah you, you talked a little bit about um and you can stop me if i'm going too far but like you you talked a little no, bit about about um your motivations for wanting to go down that avenue yeah, well, and 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 that's the other thing too is do people want to have kids to like challenge themselves? You know, do people like do I want to have a kid because like I want to take you know the marriage to the next step or do like I I don't know what the right answer to have a kid is. I know that I do want children. Like I'm not anti yeah. having children at all. Like right. Jen and I want kids at some point, but yeah. like I don't think either of us are <laughs> like. God, I feel so sorry for my parents because they've already been like, oh, Jen's like, Jen's drinking. Like, so she's not, or like, that Jen's is the thing. Just drinking. Yeah. We've and, gone to friends' houses. Like, oh, I wonder if like, it's weird that they asked us oh, to hang out. Like, I wonder if they're, and then you get there and there's a glass of wine. You're like, oh, okay. Well, I guess it's totally. not today. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so that's, that's, and, and we've had friends like at Grayson's wedding, Emily was drinking like wine but it was actually like fake wine. Oh, wow. We didn't sneaky. know she was pregnant at the time. How, yeah. how duplicitous. I know. 
Um, okay, um, so as anyways. somebody with with best friends who've had kids, have you had the dude you're a dad now conversation? Because that's also a novelty, but it is the next step. Yes, yeah, I've I've had it a bunch of times with Colin already. Like Colin Noah is a month old now, yeah. and we've you know we've talked pretty extensively about it. Yeah. Was there was there any fear about uh, losing your best friend to the kid? Because they say that happens. You know, I guess I'd be lying if I if I didn't entertain that thought at all. But I, we've hung out enough since. Yeah. That I think, like, I'm kind of like, I get it, dude. Like, you're like, ev- this child comes before everything, and I'm not narcissistic enough to be like, "Why can't I get some time, bro? Like, fit me in where you can." Right. Like, you've got this is a very special time in your life, and. uh you know, he knows I'm here and, and they still, they talk to me enough that I, I, you know, they talk to us enough that we know we're in the mix. So you guys have a really cool, cool friendship. That's very apparent. You guys have a, a, a a very, a a very idyllic, nice little best friendship for grown men. It really is. And, and, and we're so pumped that our, you know, that our wives are also best friends. (laughs) Yeah, that works out nicely. So it's for like, and and any four of us could message each other at any time and that would be totally okay. And that's something I'm, you know, super grateful for. I'm pumped that we uh, fertilized that friendship. I'm pumped that we fertilized this year conversation because wow, what a way to begin. Yeah, I know. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> expect to go so deep. Well, uh, one, th- one way that I know that I'm an adult and I can never uh, go back to childhood again is... Uh, J.K. Rowling is kind of ruined now. <laughs> that that's over. She sure is. Wow, like that happened so fast. Well, you know what? It kind of didn't. In a way, it did, and on like a grand okay. on a grand scale, it did. But it's been about a year since she first kind of danced around some of these anti-trans views. And I even feel a little weird saying it's anti-trans, and we can go into the minutia of it. Although I, I'm frankly a little nervous about terminology. I don't want to say anything. Um, First of all, I don't want to say anybody feels a way that they don't, and I want to be sensitive, but um, mm-hmm. it has been out there for a while, and I kind of think that's why it came up now. So however long ago she uh, shows her support for this woman who got fired uh, because of her uh, views on uh, the transgender lifestyle. And uh, so she shows her support, and she takes on, J.K. Rowling, um, this... Uh, people start calling her a turf, which is not a word right. I had heard before a few weeks ago. You? Uh, yeah, no, I, I just heard turf weirdly enough on, and this is like one of the, I don't listen to Joe Rogan as much as it comes up on the podcast, but <laughs> I, I, there was a random uh, Joe Rogan episode with, I think it was Reggie Watts, which was an interesting listen in its own right. It was. But he's talking about this lady who was a turf. Um, right. So, so it's, is, a, it's a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And this is, this is frankly, what I'm most uh, anxious about trying to define because it's very specific. In fact, it's so specific that it's amazing that someone with this set of views would even require their own, uh, like, term, <laughs> like, terminology, right. except she kind of does fit the bill when she very, like, carefully lays out her, her feelings about... So it's, it's my understanding that uh, a TERF is... Uh, a feminist who fears 
or refutes the transition of trans women for the fear of the erasure of cisgendered women. And then she kind of also throws in this complication about um, domestic abuse and just abuse in general. And obviously it's an objective truth that um, women are more often victims of abuse and trans people are more often victims of abuse. And so it seems like she's very preoccupied with the blurring of those lines that um, if if you uh, were born with male anatomy, you couldn't possibly be a woman, like capital woman, uh, because you didn't experience the potential abuse or the abuse that, that comes with being a, uh, a cisgendered woman. But you did experience the the risk and the fear of being a trans person, which it see, do you see how it's like, so it seems yeah. like such a, like a minute criticism that it's not worth going into over. She's not in a traditional sense, transphobic. She doesn't seem to be against someone's right to transition, but she has this weird hang up about, uh, trans women calling themselves women, which in its right is absolutely anti-trans. So, yeah, absolutely. That is definitely anti-trans. And I like I don't think I knew the history when I saw the first tweet because so there's all that groundwork laid which I didn't hear about. Right. So this happened like a year ago. And then right. she went away for quite a while because people every time she would tweet something, people would call her a turf and she she just oh, went away. Okay. And then so she's come back recently and I mentioned this recently on the podcast. She wrote this kids book called the Ichabog. And so she has been tweeting a lot lately, interacting with kids who do illustrations for her kids book. And because she's tweeting more, she's being called a turf more again. And right. she couldn't resist, I guess, like coming out and, and apparently needing to clarify uh, that she's not what they say she is. And I think this is another issue with, with her defense is that she says, listen, this is not a discourse. If you're just going to call me a bitch and a transphobe and a turf and it's 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 not fair to lump those three things in together as if turf is a slur. It's not. It's not a slur. It's an ideology. And whether or not right. you want to go by that terminology, it does kind of uh, go along with the with the <laughs> the ideology you're you're going on about. And then she posted this fucking four thousand word essay, which just doubled down on everything. I so hoped she was going to go. Listen, I need to learn, and I I'm open to. Learning. I gotta just step away. Yeah. Yeah, but she couldn't do that. Well, the, did the whole thing start with? So it was uh, a reporter said something about people who menstruate, and she like said people who menstruate you mean uh, what are they called like weebo and she said like it was like weebo dot 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 woomer dot 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 women uh, I, I don't and know so, and so i thought at first i was kind of like um just in reading the story and that was kind of how it led into it and i was like okay so she's pissed that this guy is like like i thought she was more trying to make uh at first before knowing the full story I thought she was just trying to make a like women's equality thing. Like, you know, fucking don't mansplain menstruation to me, idiot kind of thing. Right. But, that would be fine. But then all of this other ground, like I thought that people were just coming out. Well, and, and, and a lot of her tweets on it have been like 
really, uh, really foolishly hung up on genitalia. Like you mentioned the menstruation. Like, oh. She's brought that up a lot too. Like it, it's, it's just this kind of forced, um, I, it's kind of like a cudgel, like this way of like winning the argument by like being willing to say vulva. You know what I mean? Right. It, when you're not like, and she says in her essay that she can't be anti-trans because she basically she still thinks of trans men as women like they're you know what i mean like she just doesn't believe in in being trans i think <laughs> that's it's the it's the shittiest realization for my childhood self but she includes gotcha. this whole narrative about how because she factors um abuse and the potential for abuse in um in the the female lifestyle into her reasoning she opens up about being a survivor of domestic assault and sexual assault. And I would never take away that that's horrible and traumatic, but one, she kind of uses it as a, a cudgel to win her argument, a la uh, Kevin Spacey. And she, it's not the first time she's talked about that. A la Kevin Spacey. Like we, we are, she already, we already knew about this and she's kind of bringing right. it up. Like, listen, this is why I said what I said. You're going to understand right. now. And it's like, it, that's, that's horrible that happened to you, but it's kind of not related to why we're pissed at you. Yeah. And, and people mentioned that there was this book, the silkworm, which apparently had a lot of, um, trans kind of <laughs> like trans adjacent agenda. In okay. It, All right. Which I, I don't know. Have you read the silkworm? Is that the thing? I, I know nothing about it. No. Okay. One, one thing I'll say is that, it's a little silly the way suddenly everybody's deconstructing everything she's ever written as if like to be a big, a bigot in one way means you're a bigot across all checks. So like, right. And, and some of it like is kind of valid, but other things are dramatically reaching. Like, so she's, she's a transphobe or whatever you want to label it. And so she's also an anti-Semite because of the goblins and Gringotts and because and because, uh, um, <laughs> and because like house elves are slaves that are owned by rich people and right, yeah. And you're like, well, she was kind of just creating a world, but she was, and and I love that world, and I I hope I hope we can land on uh, Harry Potter doesn't belong to her; it belongs to us. It has for years. I hope. I hope we can right. decide on that. And every time we talk about Harry Potter, we don't have to be like, "But I, I like." Right. I and I know that kind of doesn't. That's a little contradictory to like discussions we've had about Woody Allen content before or Michael Jackson songs or whatever. But I, I just think that because it's so fundamental to like a whole generation's um, introduction into like the narrative of love and like being doing the right thing and i know these are like basic right. and concepts <laughs> and fucking reading I, I hope that we can retain it i don't know i guess i don't know the answer to that maybe it's to each their own it, it's it's incredibly helpful that other powerful members of the harry potter community have come out against her statements so like daniel radcliffe he wrote a thing for um the trevor project which people are like really into uh uh Emma Watson did and a couple other like tertiary characters. Eddie Redmayne made a statement as well. And that kind of uh, is especially interesting to me because Warner Brothers has yet to make like a clear statement on how they feel about her statements specifically. They were like vague uh, in their response. They're like, we value storytellers. It has nothing to do with <laughs> what we're right. talking about. Um, yeah. And so it is kind of uh, a sensitive time 
do these tweets of hers, does this position of hers and her falling from grace imperil the Fantastic Beasts franchise, which is already kind of treading water because a lot of people aren't happy about Johnny Depp being the main villain. Um, although I think we've kind of come around on Johnny Depp for reasons we don't need to get into. Um, that last movie was hot trash. So I, I don't know. Maybe we just want to call it a day on the Harry Potter new stuff. Mm-hmm. And I will double back to say uh, the points that... Um, Joe Rogan was making on uh, this person who was a turf uh, made it seem like he was also transphobic. <laughs> so, oh yeah, it's just so clearing cool. that up. For in sure. the sense that, like, I think Joe Rogan lives in his own world, he does. and some of the points he makes, I'm like, oh, well, I hadn't thought about it that way. But a lot of the points he makes, I'm like, you don't know anything. You're a pothead conspiracy theorist who takes DMT for like nine percent of his life. Why am I listening to you? I just like want to hear this interview. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 He's, he's like, if you crossed like Jordan Peterson with, uh, I don't know, Dave Navarro or something like it just, it, I don't, I don't know why I I guess I listen to him occasionally because of the magnitude of his influence and he gets good guests because of that influence. And sometimes, sometimes I like what he says, but I, and he'll have like, I like Sam Harris on, and I would trust anything that Sam Harris ever said. Yeah. Like, but I, I feel like Sam Harris talks about people who didn't take COVID seriously. And he's like, and I would call friends and I would try to change their minds on certain things. Meanwhile, like Joe Rogan's like trying to shame people for wearing masks in a car for being like feminine. I, I've know? been confused ever since the beginning of COVID why all of his interviews are in studio. I like every well, other, pod- oh, every other podcast under the sun is doing zoom interviews and i like he's testing everybody who comes into his little studio no he posted an article the other day that was like like asymptomatic carriers can't uh studies finding that asymptomatic asymptomatic carriers can't uh transfer the virus very easily and like people are realizing that uh no virus stays on a surface for as long as they thought and he just posted well dot 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 like oh, as if to say he's right like like oh, listen gosh. i've done the research i was fine to have people in here all along no one knows shit about the covid virus so i just went ahead with it like fuck off man. this is this is my impression of joe rogan researching something jamie pull that up that's yeah it. yeah oh that's the, oh my god i didn't realize that that said that too yeah that's right. fucking crazy man Ugh, ugh. maybe i gotta stop <laughs> <laughs> I, I will definitely listen to jk rowling on joe rogan for what it's worth even though that that's a complicated room i just want to hear what that sounds like <laughs> imagine i mean i don't think he's a bad interviewer but i think no. his his uh you know informationally uh, i don't know if it's all there okay we got a lot of like big areas we can go into maybe we should have done yes. a show last week so uh uh cops is canceled in more right. ways than one. <laughs> oh yeah so cops is canceled and also cops are canceled. Um, and live PD too. Right. Which is just another version of the same thing. It's like right? an A&E cops. Right. Yeah. It's the late show versus the tonight show. Right. Uh, and now folks are trying to cancel Paw Patrol for the same reason. that The idea being any depiction of cops as good people is, or guppies or whatever they are, dogs, is um, 
is tr uh, trivializing a bigger issue, which I mean, like there's something to that, like not training young children right from the get go that all cops are good people. Maybe that is a valuable premise. Like we have had a, a, a bit of a problem for a fucking century deifying officers of the law. And that's why we're having so much trouble catching up to this moment. But yeah. I think maybe there's bigger fish to fry than Paw Patrol. Than Paw Patrol. You're right. And and as soon as it started happening, I said to myself, you know, what is Brooklyn Nine-Nine going to do? Mm. Because, and they've always kind of like really nicely danced around, not, not even danced around, but even kind of addressed the fact that there are issues in policing. Yeah. So there's an answer to this question. As, okay. as soon as this happened, I mean, it was like a good week post George Floyd, but some actor, some character actor who I couldn't tell you was on like SVU or something. And he decided he was going to make a $10,000 donation uh, because he has uh, financially benefited from being a police officer on television. And so this started this stream of TV actors, movie actors who famously played cops making $10,000 donations. And I, obviously that comes from a good place. Any donation you want to make to Black Lives Matter is great. I, I'm not sure mm -hmm. I totally, I, th I think it's a reach, but uh, so the entire cast of uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine did this. And then it came out yesterday, Terry Crews said that the eighth season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which very conceivably could be their last season, is going to heavily lean on this particular moment. And that's great. I think, I think that especially like a lighthearted show that gets people's attention is a great way to have this conversation in a rational um, kind of venue that a lot of, I mean, uh, Neanderthal people can better stomach. I think that it, I think that's a really great way to reach people. And plus, there's already, like you said, there's already a built-in context in that show where they do take it seriously sometimes. And Terry is one of the guys who takes it seriously in that show sometimes. He's a very mm -hmm. sensitive character. Mm -hmm. And Andre Brower too, uh, Jeep. He's also, uh, you know, as he is sensitive at, at his core. Right, but they've been accused also of uh, falling in line with a long tradition of scapegoating the police system to a black police chief, right? Right. There's a lot of TV shows where the police chief is black because you can get away with that. Oh, I see what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and they kind of lean on like, that being a storyline in itself, well, but and, not necessarily having him involved as much in the show, which I do think he is involved. Well, you just don't, you don't have to write uh, this police department is corrupt and racist storyline because it's not the chief is black. You know, it's and uh, maybe that's reaching, but like it's, it's kind uh, of fair. Well, and black and gay. In, right. Uh, in the case of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. You're right. Hmm. Frankly, not realistically. I hope that, yeah, I know. I, I want to, to think that their hearts were in the right place. I mean, it, it is a Mike show joint, which, it is. <laughs> you know. There's, he, a, new, there's a new Spike Lee joint out this week, by the way. And it's supposed to be incredible. Yeah. Defy Bloods. I'll watch it. Um, okay, one more uh, piece of racist media under the microscope, and that is a little film called Gone with the Wind. Yes, I heard Gone with the Wind is canceled. It's Gone with I, the I, Wind. I've never seen it to, to begin with. But. Take a guess at how long Gone with the Wind is. Take a guess for me what the runtime of that movie from the 1940s runs at. 
oh, it's going to be really long, isn't it? Three hours and 14 minutes. It's three hours and 56 minutes. It is longer than Holy any, any movie that's come out in our lifetime. And it came out in the 40s. Like at the time, were people, were people just like, okay, I know we haven't totally figured out what movies are yet, but you maybe can't do that. <laughs> I know the book is long, but like, did you have to make it four hours, Gone with the Wind? Do you think people people weren't even pissed though in the movie theaters? So they're like, "Whoa, I get to get a four hour movie! That what what a treat!" Maybe you're I'll right. pay my seventy five cents. Maybe you're right, and like lots of plays are four hours. Certainly, operas are four hours long. Maybe they were like, "Well, this is just what movies are going to be." Right. Yes. Well, so so why is it canceled? I like. And this is just me being ignorant to what this story actually is. Well, I, I mean, I don't know a lot about it, except for that it takes place during the American Civil War in the antebellum South. And so there is a depiction gotcha. of slavery, which is unsettling. And so HBO Max has decided to remove Gone with the Wind impermanently. And I feel like this is kind of not being mentioned. They fully intend right. to bring it back once they have, I don't know, edited in some context, maybe just like some some little title cards to better clarify, by the way, um, this is uh, from a different time. Although I think the context of Gone with the Wind is understood. But I haven't seen the movie. Right. I haven't read the book, so I don't know. And I, I can appreciate, you know, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to like chop up this classic film. They're just going to create a little context. The irony though, is that as soon as this story became controversial, um, it became like the number one movie on Amazon. <laughs> oh whoa. so everyone is watching gone with the wind and that feeds into another narrative about how people are watching the wrong shit to get in touch with this side of themselves and to learn how to be anti-racist and so you probably heard that the help became the number one movie on netflix oh, yeah and even That's viola sad. davis is, is like sad. this is not the best way to learn how to be anti-racist she, she said it's a movie that she like regrets doing mm. Yeah. And so Netflix has created a Black Lives Matter genre, like a special place where you can get that information. Last year's movie, Just Mercy with Jamie Foxx and Michael B. Jordan is free uh, VOD. The movie Selma with David Oyelowo is my, uh, Martin Luther King. That's free on VOD. Ava DuVernay is like, she's she's kind of shepherding this this really foolproof idiot's guide on how to like get woke, get educated and right. step the fuck up. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Which I need films? to watch 13 too. I, I haven't quite finished it, but I, I remember I like I watched the first hour a couple of years ago and then I had to run out or something and just like never got back into it. But I remember being riveted while I was watching it. That's the Jackie Robinson one. No, no, it's uh, it's about the 13th Amendment. It's by Ava DuVernay. Oh, it's okay. like a documentary. It's it's free on Netflix. What was the Jackie Robinson movie called? It was a number. What was the number? number 42? 42. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and the other thing that I was going to mention, fuck, what was it? Was it Elmer Fudd? <laughs> it's no, but let's talk about Elmer Fudd losing his gun. <laughs> so they're also on HBO. HBO is very careful about what kind of content they want to put out there. They Whoa. have new Looney Tunes. They're bringing back Elmer Fudd without his iconic hunting rifle. So not to glorify or normalize gun culture in a kid's program. And... Mm -hmm. The funny thing about this is how inherently violent Looney Tunes is. Like, I remember being a little kid and watching Looney Tunes on Sunday morning or whatever. And I remember being very little and my dad told me, you know, like when I was a kid, this actually went off the air for a while because it was so violent. And as a kid, I that was amazing to me. Like, that seemed so silly. And then as an adult, I mean, every sketch has like TNT and guns in it. Like, it makes perfect sense. Right. On the other hand, I don't know if taking... 
a hunter's hunting rifle. Like, what, what is Elmer Fudd if not a hunter? That's the thing. Well, how do you? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was kind of his thing. And it's not like they were portraying him in like a <laughs> a kind way. No, he wasn't exactly like black ops or anything. No, he wasn't he was good a, at it. He was a bumbling idiot. Yeah. Although I kind of, like, I kind of want to see the dark spinoff where Elmer Fudd is like a trick shot. <laughs> he doesn't have a speech impediment in that version. That's Porky Pig. No, he's he, he can't pronounce his uh, like like uh, he can't pronounce his R's. You're right. That's true. He does have a he does have a weird way of talking. Wabbit, wascally yeah. wabbit. They actually they all uh, between like uh, Daffy Duck. And you're, you're so right. They all so, talk funny. It's they almost are. like they're cartoons. Yeah, but they all like <laughs> can't pronounce words correctly. That's true. I wonder if that's inclusive or if it's mocking people with speech impediments. Yeah, I almost want to lean toward the mocking people with speech impediments, but I don't. I don't care enough to fight this fight. It's honestly the crux of my problems. All my problems with Jennifer Garner, who is in every way like a decent actor and probably a really great person. But I just, yeah. from a very young age, was like, I can't get down with this lady's speech impediment. She's a professional talker. What are you doing? Right. You you mean like she was speaking... What is her speech impediment? She lisps. See, I've never caught this. She has a lisp. All right. Well, we'll uh, I feel like we've talked about that before. We should do like a game show version of does, does she have a lisp? <laughs> Maybe I'm hearing stuff that's not there. Yeah. It's, it's a Mandela effect thing. <laughs> Did you're you know that she a, never had a lisp? Yeah. You're such an audiophile that you're like <laughs> hearing static at certain points that makes you think she has a lisp. Not enough of an audiophile to have gotten your microphone working properly tonight. We're going we're gonna <laughs> to no. figure it out. We are. Maybe that's me. Maybe I'm, I'm just going down. Okay, another, another big topic. Uh, Kate Dillon, who's an actress from Billions and... Orange is the New Black, is challenging SAG to remove gendered acting categories from their awards program. So no more Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, blah, blah, blah. Just Best Performance, Best Supporting Performance. And this is something that's tremendously overdue. Fair mm -hmm. counterpoint, are we running the risk of flooding categories with men, like in director's categories, if there's no gender constraints? Do you think they just change it to there has to be top three men top three female i mean we could have both we could have like best actor best actress best performance and then i guess somebody would get Over it twice up. something i've often thought because we always talk like during oscar season what's the category that's missing and some people say stunt performance some people say voiceover um some people say casting director and i think that's probably next no, something nobody ever talks about is adding another acting category and i just came up with this the other day best on-screen chemistry can go from anywhere be like between two to six people no dude i think i think that has been done but I think it's like an empty and this is the reason i don't think it's going to happen in the oscars is because it's like an mtv movie award thing well there there is like a best ensemble award that goes out during like indie spirit and i think screen actors guild actually um really? But I, I just think there are certain cases where it's strictly the chemistry that sold you on a movie. I'm trying to think of a great yeah. example. I'm still hung up on normal people. So I still am thinking like <laughs> neither one of them is as good as they are together. And so that's what should be celebrated. There's lots of cases of that in film. And so yeah. um, I don't know if I'd phrase it as best ensemble, but like sometimes there's lightning in a bottle between two people. And it'd be really cool if over time, like 
uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone won two Best Chemistry Oscars together because they're that good together or something. Right. And that would have happened probably with like Tom Hanks and Melanie Griffin. Meg Ryan. God damn. I always mess them up. Meg Ryan. Yeah. Um, thank you for, for digging me out of that hole. Um, so I don't know if this is, if, if is this is going to be fall on deaf ears, it's kind of picking up some steam. I, there is certainly something wrong with gendered acting, acting categories cause it's so arbitrary. Well, and in the music world, uh, on a like kind of adjacent note, they, uh, they got rid of the urban categories or they're renaming the urban categories. Why? Because, um, people, uh, like, for instance, Tyler, the creator, spoke up and was like, yeah, man, like, I don't like the fact that, like, I'm going out on an edge trying to make different music. And for some reason, I'm in the urban category. Yeah. It's like kind of like an arbitrary way to, to like he was saying, it's an arbitrary way of throwing people of color or black people into a category. It definitely <laughs> He's like, is. Yep. feels a little dirty. <laughs> yeah. And also, we don't do that with film. We don't, we don't or or emmys for that matter like we don't give out awards for the best crime show for the best horror movie right although i'm kind of curious about that now that's kind of a more interesting concept best horror movie would actually be kind of a sick yeah like, genre explosion yeah but we're blurring lines then you're right you're totally right um what do you th- what did you think of the uh Marin seinfeld interview i thought it was great and i never thought it would happen there's like a few white whales it's not even fair to call them white whales because it's not like he's chased after Seinfeld. It's almost like Marin and Seinfeld exist in parallel universes. Like, like he doesn't like Seinfeld and he made it very clear. <laughs> he doesn't get Seinfeld. He's like not a Seinfeld fan. He's, he's weirdly cold about Seinfeld in the intro considering he'd already recorded the interview in which they got along famously. They got along so well. And if anything, Marin was kind of the one who was like, which I was like, whoa, the balls on Marin. Because, uh, which was, that was probably the wrong term to use. The guts that Marin had there. Right. Because he uh, he went at Jerry when he was like, oh yeah, I could ask you that, but you're just going to shut down. Like, I'll ask you to a certain point, but you're not going to answer on these certain things. But he's absolutely right. Because then Jerry was like, well, I don't know. Ask me a hard question. And, and that's, that's, first of all, rude. And because you've been talking for like an hour and a half. And, yeah. and also... Um, he, Marin's right. Like Jerry's, he always shuts off at a certain point. He only wants to talk about comedy. And by the way, that's fine. I can listen to that. And and Seinfeld kind of flip flopped on it too. Yeah. Like he he ended up giving an answer where he said like there is no answer, and Marin's like, well that like he got to it, and he's like, so that's your answer. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and, and Which I was, love that he tracked that down. I think that somehow Marin has just maybe never been on Jerry's radar. Like, I think for some reason, Jerry just had like a blinder on and didn't really notice that Marin was like, that Marin mattered. And right. and by the end of the conversation, I think maybe he just did it for press. And by the end of the mm-hmm. conversation, Jerry was like, I'd love to come back. He actually offered that up. And yeah, so he's like, I, I'll come back. I'll do this anytime. I think he was and like, he said, and he said like, I love, I love the conversations you have. Like, like it's made it seem like he loves listening to it and hearing, you know, comedy destructive because, or 
deconstructed because that's what he does. I just don't know if I bought it. I don't think he is a yeah. big listener of WTF. I think that he will be now. I think he wants to come back because he likes a good conversation that engages him on his philosophies on comedy, which I do find interesting, even though he's kind of an asshole. Um, and I for sure think Marin will be on the next season of Comedians in Cars. As someone who appreciates comedy, though, like I can also, I was also in the camp of like, this is also the dumbest conversation ever. <laughs> None of this matters. Totally. Oh, I know. You know what drives me crazy? And I love comedians. I, I hate when comedians call non-comedians civilians. It is the most, con <laughs> it, it is so condescending. That's what, that's what soldiers call non-soldiers. That's not, they you get, don't get to use that word. <laughs> they get so superior at, like, at certain points that I couldn't, like, like, yeah, you're right. It, it seems like they would just call us normies. Yeah, we operate at a like, higher level. don't get it. We operate at a higher level. We're always observing. We worship at the Church of Comedy. Fuck like, you. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so. Except I love Aaron so much. People eat that shit up. I know. And I, I kind of love when comedians like take it down being like, you know what? It is so dumb yes. that like people love Marin. Not that I want him to, to go down, but I find him like fucking morally superior in a lot of regards too. But at least he's working on it. It's so boring to sing the praises of John Mulaney, but he is really good for rationalizing the world of comedy. And in fact, it, yeah. it was on um, Comedians in Cars when he's talking about how like Trump became president and the go-to press question was like, well, this must be so great for comedy. You couldn't write this. And his response is, yes, you could. People wrote Star Wars. <laughs> it's like, right. it's not that, don't endow it with magical powers. Right. It's so true. I, I actually watched um, Chase special last night. Man, that, it's a good time to watch Chase special. He has some good All Lives Matter shit. He's got some great stuff on there. Yeah. He's got great stuff all around. Like, it was just such a fun watch. I think he's one of the great stand-ups right now. I don't think he gets enough credit for that part of his career. I honestly think um, SNL took him down a level. Because it took him away from focusing on stand-up. I think he makes good money in that job because he's the head writer. Um, Definitely. But it, it's, it does kind of keep a seatbelt on him that he, that he would like, he would just soar so high without it. Well, I say that too, but also like Gerard Carmichael's a guy that I really like and I haven't seen him around much at all. Yet. He's a thinker, Gerard Carmichael. He's a real thinker. He gets lost in his head. Yeah. yeah. I actually like, um, I was surprised that Eric Andre is releasing a Netflix special. Yeah, I saw that too. I, I never clicked him? with him. He he did a, um, oh, I love Eric Andre, he, but he did a uh, trailer which <laughs> was so like apropos of right now because he's talking about how cops having like Jamaican like reggae as the beginning as the beginning the intro to the show is the most like non-fitting thing. That is true. And he does all these like tropes of like racist cops and then it's like it's like to make come on everything is peaceful how did it never occur to me that bad boys is a reggae song it totally is oh yeah yeah 100 it's kind of like when you realize that the police are just a reggae ripoff which, like, <laughs> yeah. the, the police there we go full circle well and i was like are we no i'm not we're i'm, talking I'm about not talking about band, cops right? i'm talking about sting and the police
Yeah. Are you going to see uh, King of Staten Island? Because I'm going to pay the 20 bucks yeah. to rent this tomorrow. Yeah. I think that's I think that's the Friday night plan. This is, uh, this is a watershed moment for what's to become of film. And it's a little bit easy for a comedy studio movie to take this plunge because comedy studio movies have not been doing so well in the box office the last couple of years anyway. You would never run this risk with the new James Bond movie or, or you know, Avengers or whatever. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. Do they make a ton of money or do they do they flounder? I'm going to pay getting, the 20 bucks. It's getting good reviews. Like Peter Travers gave it a four and a half star review. I think I might get weepy in this movie. Dad stuff makes me weepy. And yeah. in general, this just looks like a very sensitive, beautiful movie. Totally. Yeah. Totally. I'm excited for it. Me too. They were on, uh, he and Judd were on uh, Fresh Air today. And I love Terry Gross, but sometimes she just, she asks three too many questions on a subject. Like she should just, right. and so like she made Pete talk about 9-11 for too, oh, for no. too long. And he right. got emotional at one point. Like he was just talking about firefighters in general and how he thinks they're heroes. And he just kind of stopped. And she was like, sorry, were you done? And he's like, yeah, I was just getting emotional. <laughs> yeah. Just let him out. Let him like you, you already yeah. saw the movie. We know that happened. Right. Give him a break. You don't need to like turn the knife in your journalistic way. Right. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Uh, you want to talk shows or is that I do. I do have one more. All right. That's it. So, uh, because, uh, shooting films has started to click back in again, like New Zealand is, they've got like a clean, a, a clean bill of health. And so Lord of the Rings can, can pick up again. <laughs> there's like 40 Lord of the Rings movies. Well, there is the show, uh, that's yeah, picking which up. Is like 40 and, yeah. uh, and Avatar is, is picking back up again. So like as studio movies start to open up again, they've had to create as do all workplaces, a plan of new rules and regulations per people's safety. And so they've written this 22-page memo that is outlining everything you can and can't do and all the safety measures you have to take if you're going to be on set. And uh, one of them relates to love scenes. How are we going to shoot love scenes if our actors have to socially distance from one another? And so you have three options. You can either rewrite it, you can ditch it altogether, or I kid you not, you can use CGI. You can hire one of your technicians to generate via computers to animate hyper-realistic renderings of movie stars and have them fuck each other. And I can't imagine how that's going to be used for evil, but they're going to do it. <laughs> Whoa. On a similar note, PS5 was released today, like uh, the like trailer for how PS5 works. And man, some of the graphics, they're pretty tight. Yeah, that's, yeah. Are they naked though? I mean, basically. Right, yeah. <laughs> You've seen video game characters these days. They're practically yeah. naked. It's so racy. <laughs> the NBA 2K, like Zion Williams dunking the ball, like, oh, man, look, look super real. I don't have anything to say about this. I just think that it's a slippery slope to CGI famous people in the buff. Why isn't one of the options just like, like shooting like half at a time? Like, there's a way of doing that that's not insane. Well, it's just, like, not that many sex scenes in Hollywood. There's a few every year. Like, maybe we just do those movies later. <laughs> How important is a sex scene? Like, the fact that, like, the whole, like, Halle Berry, <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton thing happened in the first place is so insanely ridiculous. You mean like the, the sex they had in that movie? Was it Monster? 
Yeah, and like they're you know people kind of think that they actually had sex for it. There's a few people like that. Yeah, which honestly, you've seen that scene. It looks like they're actually having sex. That's movie magic. You were fooled. You bought it. Do you in. think it actually was movie magic? Uh look, I'm not saying act. Some actors aren't crazy enough to want to go there to like prove that they're committed to their craft. I'm especially crazy people in Hollywood. I'm sure the especially especially Shia LaBeouf, who is one of the people who who is like rumored to have done that. I'm just saying legally, the liability would be through the roof. Like, who would allow that to happen? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Maybe, maybe the director was just like, "Hey, we'll stand back here, and whatever happens is none of our business." <laughs> Look, it's not my business. It's just my hundred million dollars. We'll hit record. And... <laughs> anyway, I, I assume this probably also extends to like kisses, and obviously, people kissing each other does matter in movies. It happens in every movie. Man, that that. I still think about the episode of Saturday Night Live with Daniel Craig and how it spoke so much to the moment with all of the actors like having like plexiglass in between them. And I was like, oh my God, this is so overblown. Like there's no way that it's ever going to get this bad. And boom, it was just all like... That was it. That was the last time. Yeah. It was the last time. And now we're, we're, now we're actually thinking about all these things. I know, exactly. All right, let's talk about shows. Okay. So we, we have, have we have three. We did three shows. Okay, so um, I, know. I guess I'll give you the first crack. Um, you can pick whichever of the three you want. I will say, I've seen multiple episodes of all three of these shows, so that's going to be a little tricky. And Good. and also, I first saw Space Force like three weeks ago, so it's yes. foggy. Right. Okay. Uh, I'm the same. The quiz, I have watched only one episode of so far. Okay. Love Life, I've watched all the episodes to this point, except I think three more were, were released today, or the rest of them were released today. Oh, great. Okay. Um, I'll do Love Life. Okay. Because I, I think I can, I think I remember the first episode most because I watched it twice. Do you want me to put you on the clock, or do you just want to read what you wrote? Honestly, I did not write anything. Okay, I'm going to put you on the clock. or or not that's that's for the best recap the first episode of love life which is on hbo max right this is kind of their new flagship program yes i believe so it's definitely on hbo i think it's on hulu but it's also no it's definitely hbo all right we'll recap the first episode of that in three two one go so anna kendrick plays a uh a a woman who is a a museum uh curator such a guy she Thinks she's never going to find anyone because of a troubled past. She ends up meeting this guy, Augie. They uh, get together, but he ends up having to move away for a job, and they kind of end up breaking up. I did not do this justice at all, but... They do. Well, they they break up. Yeah, they're together for like three months, and they're like super into each other. It's going great. And then, yes. and then he announces that he has to move because he's going to join uh, Obama's campaign. He's going to like he works for Politico, and he's going to go be on Obama's campaign tour bus. And right. so she's sad; they have to break up. And then he is her date to her boss's wedding, and uh, they kind of get in a fight because like they have to break up basically tomorrow, and right. they haven't and dealt calls, with their feelings. He kind of makes a joke about like, oh yeah, like that would be crazy. Like, tw- like any kind of uses the headline of like tour guide goes 
missing or tour guide does this thing and she's like wow that's what you think of me i'm a tour guide just a tour guide yeah but that speaks to and i've seen the first three episodes of this now so you're ahead of me but that speaks to her character perfectly and it's i think it's my favorite thing about this show how warts and all it is she is a mess she like that is that is a completely irrational response to him joking about her being a tour guide is it weird that's the first thing that i clung on to too though no, I like her a lot. I I, I, I I identify with her. I think it's kind of the best thing about her that she does not know what she's doing and she does not deal with her feelings very well. And that's kind of what makes this a fresher than normal romantic comedy. It's kind of what gives it any personality at all, in fact, that like she, uh, it's not just like quirky and she's so cute and oh, I hope she finds love. She's kind of difficult. Yeah, and and... Um, all of her partners in the show, like there are some that are seen to be overall bad, but still have redeeming qualities. Okay. Well, let's go through the other two who I'm aware of so far and we won't have to spoil the next two episodes too, too much. But like when she Uh dates her old boss in the second episode, like the kind of rich guy, he does nothing wrong in that whole episode. He's a prince. His dad dies and he is incredibly patient with her neediness through that period. Yeah. You're right. That's actually probably like her lowest point. It's horribly low. When she gives that toast at the funeral, I was watching yeah. through my fingers, man. And then in the third yeah. episode, she it's kind of a role reversal, and she's the confident one, and the other guy who she meets at a party is very strange and needy. Um, right. She but handles that like as... Such, such a sweetheart. Total sweetheart. Especially when he like comes his... to the, the museum, and he's like, I, just, I knew you wouldn't be here, but I thought this was a way to feel close to you. I was like, that's gorgeous. That's such a nice thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like he I didn't see him as a, a total creep there. I saw him as just like someone who is like her with Augie. Yes. So at first I was like, this show has he's just not that into you vibes. Because like okay, not not super familiar. Well, all I remember is that Jennifer Goodwin uh it revolves around her having had this good date with Justin Long and she just can't figure out why he won't call back. And so at the okay, first gotcha. part of the first episode, she can't figure out why Augie won't call back. But then he does, and it's great. And so there's really right. nothing duplicitous about him, and I think they're probably going to like end game these two. Because he also doesn't really do anything wrong. This guy, Augie, he just takes a good job. And he does come back in episode three, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it gets a little bit more developed than that. Uh, she has a little more personality. She's not like, she's not like boy crazy. She just doesn't know how to do young relationships, and who does? Um, right. I have a theory that um, when characters have like super quirky names that you've never heard of a person having in real life, that's a sign that the writer is insecure. So her name is oh, her name okay. is her name is Darby, and her boyfriend's name is Augie. That's the first episode. Right. I think I think you I think you torched it there. Is what I'm saying. I think like you're 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 scr- you're you're on your way to building an interesting character. But in doing so, you were scared she wasn't going to be interesting enough. So you gave her an interesting person's name to mask the fact that she might just be a shell of a person. Do you think that they end up together as a result of their weird names? I think they better. And they should have a kid named like Nick. I had a theory at the very beginning that the the boyfriend of the best friend and her were going to get together at one point. Jimmy, Jim. Yeah. I like the friends, by the way. Her like best friend who talks the most is hilarious. Yes. She's good. She's good. And she's like, it's not a, um, 
it's not a B story to be played off. Like it's it's an interesting follow. It is. I don't know who she is though. What do you mean, like IRL or? Yeah, I, do, I just don't, I've never seen her sure. before. Like she's very charismatic yeah, and good. Yeah, yeah, she's she was very good. Yeah. Um, I like the show. Nick Thune comes in for like three episodes. Okay. Um, and that's a whole thing in itself. Uh, the, um, I don't like not to spoil anything. Well, actually, I, I don't, I, I feel like I've already told you too much. Yeah. Don't spoil I, anything. Cause I, I think you're going to watch it. I am digging it. I do give it my ass. It's, it's like right up my alley and it does feel fresh. And I mean, <sighs> putting Anna Kendrick in your thing is almost like putting Tom Hanks in your thing. If nothing else, you've got Anna Kendrick in it. Like that. That's every, right. Everyone likes her. Everyone. Yeah. Um, and deservedly so. I do think that the, why won't he text cliche is such a trope i'm not even sure it happens in real life i it's never happened to me uh what do you mean well like i get i get the like the politics uh of like doing the dance and like are we talking too much and like should i should i text this person right now but just like it's Uh been four days like i i just i it seems a little overdone to me i think generally people just text that's that could be true i remember being in situations like that though it's been a long (laughs) time buddy back 12 years it's ago been a long time it's also funny to me that there is like a routine um there's like a regular running joke in the pilot episode about how cats is stupid and if we're honest anna kendrick probably just narrowly avoided being in that train wreck of a movie because she's been in a tom hooper musical before and she's been in musicals in general before and so like that's this, true. this show is clowning on cats before it knew that like it was cool to clown on cats and she very well could have ended up in that movie instead of Taylor Dude, Swift. Honestly, to me, it came from a place of like, maybe they improved off the fact that they, she actually was in her high school production of cats. Very possible. Like, I, I was like, maybe there's a moment of truth in this. It was very specific. And so the other thing you didn't mention in your recap is that she breaks up with Augie and it's sad, but the narrator, Leslie Manville is like, but there's always another story around on the, on the next page or whatever. And then we flash forward and Darby is pregnant. Yeah. That's the only one flash forward really in the show that I've seen so far. Right. So she, and she kind of says, she always says like, it will all work out. She just doesn't know. (laughs) Yeah. The narration is a little corny. Yeah. It's, it seems to know it's corny though. So that's okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, just, oh, I give my ass too. I, I like the show. Just renewed for a season two like an hour ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. I almost don't like that it's renewed for season two because like, I don't know that there's more story. to. I don't want there to be more story to that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want there to be more love life. I want it to end with her like, like, and the love, you know? And, and at what point is it just every other sitcom about a person in their twenties trying to find the one we've done yeah. that before? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't think it's like insanely original, but I like I like the story. Yeah, me too. I do give it my ass. It's got charm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. All right. Uh, let me recap the first episode of Quiz. If okay. only. Are be- you okay to put yourself on the clock? Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I can do that. It, it, I, I want to do Quiz. If only because I'm just like so loaded with interesting things to say about this subject matter, and I just I can't wait to dive into it. Um, okay. Great. Okay. So you count down, and I'll I'll run my own clock. Okay, you're going to recap quiz in three, two, one, 
Yeah. Uh, British television aims to create the next big thing. Uh, uh, and so what they do is they turn like classic pub trivia into a primetime TV show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And Diana is passionate about trivia. So is her brother. Her brother becomes a contestant on the show and he doesn't win. But he, in becoming part of the community, he kind of gets connected with this like game show resistance syndicate through which he coaches Diana into how to get on the show and potentially win the show. Meanwhile, there's also this flash forward where Diana and her husband Charles are on trial. <laughs> for scamming the show um and i felt it important not to talk about charles too much because i think something this this first episode of the show does nicely is really like deliver a backstory of about how this is not charles story at all um right and that's great if this is a piece of fiction it's not we can talk about that as well um mm. because this is a very very famous story especially in like british television about the the couple that cheated on who wants to be a millionaire by coughing right. in the audience and there's a documentary people have seen it never aired because they were onto it while it was happening uh, right this uh show starring well i guess this guy is from um uh what's the show that everybody loves about the rich family of hateful people you watch it oh succession he's from succession yeah um, he's a he's an amazing actor and Sean Clifford is from Fleabag, and then Michael Sheen plays the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And so it's based right. on a play that is based on this true story. And this is just a miniseries of only three episodes, 45 minutes each, and I watched all three. No, there's a fourth episode out, isn't there? No, it's over. Uh, oh, and there were there were four boxes on HBO when I... Maybe that was so like it looked a, like there was a fourth episode. Maybe that was like a trailer or something. It's done, trust yeah, me. Yeah. I watched all of it. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, did you know anything about this couple in this story going in? No, I knew absolutely nothing. I didn't even know that it originated as a British show. Yeah. So I, I remember watching this documentary when you and I lived together. I was just like sitting at home wow. and I found it on YouTube and I was amazed by this crazy happening where this guy gets on uh, and he sails through the first round of questions and then the the buzzer honks and he comes back the next day and he he doesn't sail through them he actually burns two lifelines but he he doesn't oh yeah go ahead can i pause for a sec yeah uh when you were saying the the amazing line of actors i i need to add in that um the gray-haired tv executive is from catastrophe and he's so good on that i too. wondered about him i becky yeah. thought he was familiar he wasn't to me but he was very good and also um Aislinn B from uh, Living With Yourself, Paul Rudd's wife and that. She's just kind of very tangentially yes. an executive. And I could not figure out where she was from. I was like, oh, my God, I recognize her. Where, like, what is she? And I, I got it. I'm not sure why she needed to be in this. It's it's a very small gig for her, but whatever. Yeah. Um. So I watched this documentary, and I was just amazed. So, like, this guy, he, he burns two lifelines in the first five questions, comes back the next night, and where he was like kind of struggling before and having to use lifelines, suddenly he's just flying through questions, but not confidently. Like he keeps like humming and hawing over every single one. He'll say aloud that he's pretty confident it's this and you'll know it's not. And then all like out of nowhere, he'll, he'll change course and give his final answer as something else. And you can't figure out why. And so what the documentary does is isolate the audio in the studio and raise the levels of his wife in the audience and this other guy who's on the fastest finger row. And what you note is that they're coughing every time he says the correct answer. 
And so every time he's like, just like muttering to himself, like a cold play, they'll cough and then he'll know that it's the right answer. There's this right. show also delves into another thing, which I knew nothing about and they don't explicitly say that this is what happened, but, um, they do show four pagers on a table and you're like, what, what are they going to do with the pagers? And then they briefly mention it in the third episode that there's a chance he had a pager uh, attached to each appendage of his body. And they were basically paging his left leg for A or his right leg for B or his left arm for C or his right arm for D, which is fucking crazy. It's so crazy. That's insane. And that, that brings me to my big, biggest criticism of the show which is that it is incredibly kind to Charles and Diana Ingram. And it maybe for some kind of like libelous reason, never explicitly says that they're guilty. If anything, they create far too much sympathy for these people who are for sure guilty. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And also, so the brother, like was the brother in the same, same world, but like, was he also complicit in the, their, winning a million dollars i think this depiction is pretty true everything seems to check out they absolutely did create their own fastest finger machine on which to practice which Which i think that's like people are like people mention that as cheating and i'm like uh to me that's just like gaming the system that is i'm good with that that's just shooting free throws to practice that's i yeah it's exactly it's kind of pathetic but it is (laughs) it worked for them it's not uh duplicitous well, and let's talk about how one thing I didn't know. Was, so you had to call in to actually get on who wants to be a millionaire. That That's the way they made it seem. And I think that was actually the way that they made their money was through the phone lines. I heard them bring that up a couple times, well, which it, I thought was brilliant. It does seem remarkably easy for them to get on the show, right? Like, like her brother gets on and then she gets on and their neighbor gets on and her husband gets on. And I think that's all because they're tapped into this. It's literally a game show resistance syndicate. Like there's this guy named Spooner or something. And he is, is hooking everybody up with algorithms. And so I guess what they do is there's like qualifying questions and they just share the qualifying questions with the network. So if you get called to maybe qualify for millionaire, you'll be loaded. You'll know what they're going to ask you. And that betters your chances. Right. By the way, I, I took the Jeopardy qualifying quiz just to see what would happen. And it didn't go great. No? Not so great, no. Interesting. Yeah. I'd be so, like, so curious to see how I would do in one of those. I'm going to try. Um, I like it. I give it my ass. Uh, I do too. I thought, I just find the story really interesting. I think Michael Sheen is remarkably hidden in this character. Yeah. He's invisible in there. Yeah. He, um, I found just all of the, the actors and I was like, man, the BBC, like there's such a good British acting contingent. Yes. It was like, it made me say if I wanted to make a show tomorrow, which British actors would I choose? And what have you arrived on? I have not finished the draft <laughs> order yet. Okay, well, get the back to me. Draft. Get back I to will. me on that. Uh, yeah, I give it my ass. I feel like I had more to say about uh, Charles Ingram. It, he's very likable in the show. The actor is likable. Um, and it sucks that like people would spit on them and that their dog got shot. Um, but Okay, I didn't know about anything. That is not fair. Like that is de- Even if they did steal the, steal the million, um, that's, uh, that's obviously a worse crime. Um, 
but they maintain their innocence to this day. And if you watch the documentary, they're so, hear me, they're so guilty. They're, they're guilty. It's insane. It's, it's so egregious. They did it. They did it. But the show goes out of its way to make you feel bad for them. Like, oh, look, they've got three cute daughters. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. And he's a soldier. And he, yeah, he's a major. Right. The documentary is called Major Fraud. <laughs> which is a cor- oh. which is a corny name, but Quiz is a terrible name. It's terrible SEO. It was very hard to find this show. Quiz is a terrible name. Yeah. Um. By the way, I'll say uh, a show that I've been that we loved. We finished the series, and I sent you the trailer for it was the other two. Yeah, I can't believe I, I I didn't even know this existed. And I think that's just such a great name for a TV show that's about the other two siblings that don't you know go far while their brother is basically Justin Bieber. Exactly. Yeah. And they're older. And so they just kind of like live in this crazy world and they're a little more normal. That show is so funny. We finished it so quick. There's only 10 episodes. I would recommend you do this. Is it over? Did it get canceled? No, it's renewed for a second season, I believe. Fabulous. Okay. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You'll like it. Okay. So So. how are we going to do the third one? And do I have to do that one? Because, uh, so, I, I I wrote little I uh, wrote a little uh, blurb okay, about well, it you, if you want. You might you might as well do it because you have a, a blurb prepared. Okay, I'm not. And gonna, I watch it so long. Ago. I'm not going to put myself on the clock. Uh, yeah, yeah, and this is not very sophisticated either. This is just what I remember from the pilot episode of Space Force, and it was quite a while ago. Uh, Steve Carell is Mark Nayard, who officially becomes a four-star general in the U.S. military, not because of his service uh, in the Air Force. In fact, he's given the role of overseeing the creation of the newest branch, the Space Force. Um, A year later, he's kind of butting heads with John Malkovich, who's one of the key scientific experts with the the Space Force. They don't agree on whether or not they should launch this shuttle. They do. It goes okay. They're celebrating on the front porch. Meanwhile, uh, Nared's teenage daughter is quite lonely, and his wife, Lisa Kudrow, is in jail. I let's get this out of the way. They don't tell us why she's in jail in the first episode, right? No, they don't. Thank God, because when that happened, I was like, I was so sure I missed something. Right. And then they continue not to tell you for quite some time. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I watched the entire series, and I'm trying to remember what she's in for, and I I don't know if they ever said. That sucks. I've seen, I think, four or five of them. That's yeah, I there was a, an episode. Okay, so overall, I, I'm just going to come out with it. I don't give the show my ass. Okay. Which is sad because I, you know, I really thought it was going to be really good. Okay. And they can tell that they thought the show was going to be picked up for a second season, which I think if they want it to be, it can be. But they left it on like kind of a cliffhanger. Right. Um, and... uh yeah, it just like it seemed too thrown together. I thought, I thought Andy Greenwald spoke really um, articulately. <laughs> What's the word? It's not articulately. <laughs> he just, I think, I think he spoke on it quite well when he talked about how it seemed like this show really wanted to be Veep, and part yeah. part, part of the problem with with sitcoms is that they almost all have to be underdogs. And so if you come out of the gate with Steve Carell and all these other heavy hitters and Greg Daniels, there's just too high of an expectation. Like a show is good because it almost shouldn't have worked. I think that's why The Office works. In fact, The Office did flounder for a little while. Uh, right. It's a little show that could. This this show just had too much, um, too much capital backing. 
Um, I will say, in, well, and, and, in another packaging, this show is very successful. If this first episode was a one-act play, it would win uh, Tony and be lauded for its satire. Right. And and that's the thing, I think, that kind of defeats it, as they, they branch off into these kind of like episodes that feel like bottle episodes, and not because they're all in one room, but because they're all just like, let's tackle this one problem. Yes. Yeah, they're trying very hard for it to be episodic like a sitcom, but it has yeah. it has the aesthetic of a serialized, not necessarily a drama, although it's not riotously funny as you might expect from some of these people. That's not my greatest criticism of it um, because it's our own fault for having certain expectations and it's very irresponsible to assume that you're going to like it as much as you like all nine seasons of The Office right away. That's true. That's very reckless. The best episode was written by Paul Lieberstein. Oh, he wrote an episode of this? He did. Oh, well, no kidding. It was, it was like episode eight or nine, and it was really good, and it gave me hope for the show, and it was kind of like a, a bit of a turning point. Yeah. Um, although it had moments of, like, you know, shininess through it, and, and if a second episode, or if a second season comes out, I will watch it, but... I don't give it my ass in the sense that I don't feel like putting people through it. No, I don't give it my ass because it's 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 not remarkable for sure. But no. I think because there was a week of like piss poor reviews leading up to it and everybody mm-hmm. was like, they had whiplash over what to expect from this show. I actually liked it more than I thought I would. I went in thinking, yeah. oh, this is going to blow. And it doesn't, it doesn't suck. It's not that bad. It's just not a masterpiece. And it certainly has the ability to get better. Um, mm-hmm especially since we've seen Michael Scott who starts out as a pretty one dimensional, not one dimensional, but like a pretty unlikable cartoon character evolve into a much more likable, interesting, nuanced, if like a uh, flawed person. And I think Nerd could do that. I would love it if they tried to, and like he is nuanced for sure. Yep. And I would love it if they tried to get redemption out of season two like they kind of did with, you know, Parks and Rec and The Office and, you know, all of these, like, comedies that kind of find themselves eventually. Yeah, I was listening to, it might have been The Watch, in fact. Somebody was talking about how uh, Mike Schur's rule of thumb is when you're writing a sitcom, just throw out the first 10 episodes. Because in the first 10 episodes, you don't even know who or what you're writing. And so if if this is uh, falling under the same milieu then I think that there's very high expectation, very high hopes anyway for for season two because it's not unsalvageable at all. It looks good. Totally. Do I do I give it my ass? No. Is it promising? It very well could be. Like I could see it. You know, all the right people are in the mix. Do you think he has Mike Pence energy? Because Ross thinks that he has Mike Pence energy on purpose. That like that's his little acting, and I kind of get it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I very well could be. And he's also like, to a fault, he's a serviceman. Like he's just, he's just kind of going through the motions. He like walks in straight lines and everything. I mean, I, obviously that's kind of painting Mike Pence with too friendly a brush, but right. he, you're not really sure what's going on up there. I love how yeah. much he says boots on the moon. I think it's hilarious that he says boots on the moon so much. Yeah. And uh, uh, John Malkovich is pretty nuanced too, I think. He's great. Like there's a there's a, a certain scene that like kind of steals the season for me. 
Oh, well, we should talk about Fred Willard. It's so interesting to see. First of all, how did Fred Willard get so old? It, it's just, yeah. it, he was like 86. It seemed to me like he was like 65 for 50, my whole life. 50 to 86 really quick. It felt yeah. that way. Yeah. And by the way, he's really funny. And he's only in the first episode of what I've seen so far. Um, mm-hmm. But he was very funny in that episode. And he seems ancient. Um, yeah. But he's good with the, the granddaughter. I like the kid. I think she's in the later episode. She's a little, I don't know. She's a little much, I guess. She's like, a, a, she's kind of on the nose as like a snotty teenager. But it's like impossible to write a good teenage daughter. Probably is. Like you watch Ozark, like Bill Simmons has made that point before. Like there's never been a, a teenage daughter that is, is written well in a show because everyone just makes them insane or nothing. What about like, there are other actors in this show that we haven't even talked about. Like they went so far to get big names. Like Ben Schwartz is pretty funny. Uh, he's underused, I think. But like weirdly, Jane Lynch is here, and uh, Roy yeah. Wood, Roy Wood Jr. is here. It's just like so stacked. Totally. Uh, oh, Patrick Warburton the, is in the Situation Room. Who's the Who's the blonde Colonel who's kind of like his a enemy? I don't know that guy's name. Is he from? He's not from the Americans. He's from the Americans. Yeah, that's why I found it so funny that he was in this show too. He's funny he, in this. Yeah. He kind of plays a similar, not a not a similar character at all. He plays like such a such he's, a parody of what he plays in the Americans, which I think is why he did it. He's very staunch, and he's kind of a bully. He's kind of a foil for for Steve Carell's character. He's kind of the enemy. Yeah. Um, good character actor, though. Terrific. Terrific. Uh, and and Jim, Jimmy Yang being in it, I thought was really funny too. Like, right? Like, I think that's, and he's got like a. I think it's an Amazon Prime special coming out. He was from Silicon Valley. He's from Silicon Valley. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're on the same page. Uh, uh, I, d- I definitely give um, S's to Love Life and Quiz, but not Space Force, unfortunately, although I don't think it's a lost same. cause. I didn't hate any of right. these shows. Right. We're on, we're on the same page altogether. Uh, I don't have a Will Smith thing. It didn't seem like uh, there was anything. Uh, I, I mean, I think he he made like a Black Lives Matter comment, but that's the right move. Totally. <laughs> so we trust we trust Will Smith. This At least in that judgment, I I rarely do trust Will Smith. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I feel about what are some other things we've said not to trust. John Krasinski, the fire's kind of gone down on right. him. Yes. Yeah, exactly. we just know he's a corp- he's a corporate shill, and we'll have to be at terms with him. Hey, <laughs> never never trust J.K. Rowling. That's an easy one. Never trust J.K. Rowling. Yeah, I, I trusted her with my with my entire heart for two with decades. Your childhood. Yeah. <laughs> and what a mistake but after it was. That, it was it. Ugh, it's over. It's over. I'm really a grown up now. We touched on some yeah. big ones tonight. Just kidding, Rowling. Yeah. Rowling. With the trust. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't. I don't. Okay, well, this is starting to peter out into nothing. (laughs) So never go outside! (laughs) Never go outside.